Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hello, this is Maddie. (laughs) I fooled you by saying it in Australian. And and I'm Ro and I Fooled you by saying it in very bad American. Merkin. It's okay. that You can't be a very bad Merkin. Just Merkin. Just Merkin. All oh. right. Well, if you haven't guessed, you have arrived in another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I have been trying to figure it out of late by taking lots and lots and lots of psychedelic mushrooms because I hear that it helps me see into the mind of God. Um, Anyway, Marty has got on speed dial or something and she managed to cut out the middleman and and speak straight to the source. That's true. You know, and of course, the first thing God did was mail me a whole lot of psychedelic mushrooms. Nice. Well, yes, of course. Yes. Once united with the mind of God, what you can do is request a lot of psychedelic mushrooms. (laughs) And uh, it's, it's a, it does help. I mean, Terence McKenna famously said that God is a mushroom. That's so, a really helpful image of God to hold in my mind, actually. Right. It's like my God is not the God of the, the angry bearded man in the clouds. It's a great big fungus. <laughs> <laughs> Probably closer. But anyway, here's the thing. This is what you realize when you've joined with the mind of God, is that God is way high. God is like totally baked. 
And if you doubt me, study our natural world. It's like a moose. I know. I'm going to put a real big nose. Like, I'm going to make a deer, put a huge nose on it. (laughs) (laughs) Then it's like, oh, camel. I'm going to put, I'm going to put lumps of fat. This camel, this animal will gain weight, but only in its back. Just huge wads of fat on its back. Because God is super duper high. I think that checks out completely. Also, I read online that camel hump is delicious and prized. As a de- as a delicacy, could you could you take the hump off a camel with and the camel would be okay? No, I mean you could take the hump off a camel. I do not think the camel would be okay. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that then. That's a depressing <laughs> start to the episode. Oh, it's just all good cheer, all mushrooms and camel hump here. <laughs> Yeah, we've come to the festive time. That sounds like a recipe. It <laughs> is. It's my holiday camel. recipe. Camel hump with psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah, it's the mind of God, Ro. You can't argue with that. The mind of God sounds delicious. Mm. Oh, then I switched to Hannibal Lecter eating brains in front of the people whose brains he's eating. Oh. I guess that's what, it, like if there was a camel Hannibal Lecter um he might eat the hump. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, this guys. This is terrible. This is gone Could really I just dark. say that on behalf of the camels listening out there, I am literally shaking with rage <laughs> that we are so callously just talking about hump eating. <laughs> and hump eating would be a super duper Olympic event if they would add that in, please. Okay. Well, let me tell you what I am actually trying to figure out okay, before we it. go any further down let's this hear terrible, terrible rabbit hole. Okay. So I have been trying to figure out how much of my brain can I reasonably outsource to the cloud? You know, like I was, you know, how much do you have to remember anything anymore if you have access to some sort of device that that has an apps for all the components of your brain that you used to keep locally i have such a device it is called rowan mangan (laughs) (laughs) not for long not for maddie do you remember to breathe no so this is my thinking i (laughs) i went okay this is this is a story in which i don't come out looking very good but hey i'm okay with it so i went to the gym yesterday and I'm trying to get back into my fitness after my leisurely time of being a new mom. And now I'm, I'm ready to be strong and fit again and excited about it. Now, in Australia, I don't know, maybe not. I mean, don't at me, you guys. I, I don't know if this is true. It seems to me that in Australia in the past, I've been able to walk into a gym the many, many times where I abortively joined gyms and said, hey, could you guys write me a program? And they'd have a little piece of cardboard and on that little piece of cardboard, they'd write, do this machine, do this many reps, this many sets, da-da-da. And then I would have it and I would walk around and I would do. In America, this seems to be a bizarre request, a bizarre request. Oh my gosh. They I cannot seem to get this little piece of cardboard without someone trying to measure the hydration of my cells or some <laughs> crap that they, I mean it's really intense. But anyway, so I, I finally I did a lot of very sweet talking and I ended up with this beautiful boy man called Ooh. Brandon uh helping me to 
with he he ended up being able to find a pen and a piece of paper after about ten minutes <laughs> of negotiating. <laughs> but like, here's the thing: I have this kind of brain that doesn't really understand that I have a body and doesn't know how to move it in space at all. And so, if you say to me on this machine, pull your arms together up by your nose. Uh, to your nipple height. Apparently, that's a really important height, nipple height. And he couldn't <laughs> look least at me. At least for Brandon, the boy man. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't look at me when he said, <laughs> he said you know, where your uh, breasts might could be. I just say, might be, he said. Could I just say that as you age that you're going to have to adjust that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. You're going to be bringing your elbows together right around your knees. <laughs> <laughs> so... No, yeah, so we kept having to have this conversation where he had the piece of paper and the pen and I would try and use these these weights machines and he would be like, to your nose, to your nipples, together, up. And then he would have these really random um, analogies to try and help me remember. He goes, it's like you're holding a bunch of flowers. <laughs> I'm like, okay. why would I be? <laughs> a really heavy bunch of flowers now squat (laughs) and then so Brandon had the piece of paper I'm trying to use the machines and I kept saying to him could you write down bring hands together bring hands up or down and he's like you'll remember and I'm saying no seriously dude I am this stupid I cannot remember I need you to like take a picture of the machine I won't know what it is Anyway, I mean, luckily, I'm completely unshameable about being useless yeah. in the gym. Listen to our unshameable episode. Yeah, that's a little callback. Um, and so <laughs> I just I kept saying to him, there must be an app. There must be an app. I'm looking at him trying to write. He's a young man. He doesn't write. He doesn't know from writing. It's not part of his history. He was holding the pencil in his, in his hoof. Yeah, it was bonkers. So I thought, I bet there's an app where you can have, here's a machine, here's the photo of the machine so you can't make a mistake about which machine. And then here are your little notes. Maybe I could even voice record them. Hang on, I'm just having a brilliant business idea. (laughs) (laughs) So in short, Marty, I'm trying to figure out can we just have an app for everything and is there some way that I don't have to go to the gym? Uh, yeah, there's probably an app that calls your trainer. You hire a trainer. Mm-hmm. Then there's an app that calls your trainer um, maybe 23 hours before every workout and says, I'm sorry, I can't make it. Mm. That is, in fact, would fit most people's lifestyle, I think, much better than the apps that are like, you can do it. No, cancel. Yeah. I remember cancelling a social engagement once because I had a sore knee and I just decided, let's be honest, my knee hurts. I don't want to get up. (laughs) So I cancelled and that seems like a a really good excuse for the gym. I have an owie. On the other hand, I once cancelled a lunch date because I was in labor and the other person was deeply offended. Yeah, And I literally, I was teaching an art class at the time and um, a student asked me, are you going to be teaching next semester? And I said, no, I'm going to be having a baby next semester. And he said, yeah, but that's only one day. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. So yeah, the, the Brandon boy men. You know, they, they, you just send them a, a different excuse on your app every 
day or twice a week, whatever, you know, I am in labor. Mm-hmm. Um, still in labor. Still in labor. I am holding a bunch of flowers. I cannot make it. <laughs> <laughs> My knee hurts. He also said to you, by your own account, you'll want to wear high heels. Oh, poor boy. Like he <laughs> had his honey. like he had his like inner um, little notepad ready of of things to say to women <laughs> yeah. who aren't trying to get like super buff. And let me tell you, this man was easy on the eye. Can mm. I just say that he was easy on the eye? And boy, man is the tech is the term I think we settled on. Oh. He's lovely. Hi, Brandon. <laughs> Thank you for um, treating me like someone who may at some point in her life wear high heels. <laughs> Your calves are going to look so good after you use this machine. You'll want to wear high heels. And I was just like, all right. <laughs> you know, I tried that and my feet went, who are you trying to kid? You're a lesbian. Look, now you need foot surgery. Never. You should never have even tried. To All lesbians who wear high heels. Hey. We're not trying to generalize you out of your lovely high heels. I was heels. a lipstick lesbian. I was in high heels night and day. But then my feet got all weird. Mm. I don't know how much of that was the direct consequence of also being a lesbian. Yeah, I think I've offended lesbians really, really seriously I think right you've now. offended lesbians. I think you've offended lipstick. Boy men. Oh, yeah. Oh. Basically, I've offended, I've offended lipstick. God. Okay, I'm going to need more therapy. Please don't hurt me, people in the world. I don't mean any harm. I'm just Look a moron. She's just sweet. I'm oh. shaking with rage at myself. <laughs> <laughs> we have this um, ongoing joke about shaking with rage because it was like one of those things that people, say, you know, you get in fights on the internet because someone has said something a little bit thoughtless or that doesn't uh, conform yeah. to your personal you know, view of the world, and you get so you 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 have to write. I'm literally shaking with rage. Yeah, like they write. You write. You can do it, and they're like, "Don't you know that praise doesn't lead to high, to better consequences? You're just supposed to pat me on the back or something." I'm shaking with rage. You guys don't realize the oceans are guys shaking with rage. Don't realize this, but Marty just had a little bit of a passive aggressive takedown of me. <gasps> In that past line, because we're in the midst of some very intense uh, reading on parenting <laughs> together in our morning communion times with our beloved Karen. And uh, I copped some flack this morning for daring to suggest that praise. Well, I didn't suggest it. I just read it off the damn page. Yeah. Someone else did a lot of research. It was God. Saying. It was the mind of God. It was not your, it was not your say so. Yeah. So there you go. Praise. Praise doesn't work. Marty, for God's sake, tell me what you're trying to figure out. Only if you praise me afterward. I shan't. Well, that makes me feel even more motivated. Okay. (laughs) You guys know that... (laughs) I am, you know, I meditate. I am... I was a Chinese studies major. I was into Buddhism before it was a thing, which was 5,000 years ago or whatever. (laughs) 2,500... I don't know. I've, I've forgotten when Buddha lived now. Gosh. Anyway. All right. So I, the whole thing is you try to achieve non-attachment because the whole world is always impermanent. Everything's always changing. And the moment you attach to things as they are, you are in suffering because they never stop changing. So I sit, you know, my favorite thing is to go in nature and like look at the seasons change. It's all impermanence. I'm not attached. Well, mm. 
<sighs> when we moved to this house, we inherited, because the person who lived in the house last was a biology teacher. God one of the people. bless him. One of the people. the Like one of the great men of our time, I feel. I, I love the way he loved nature and he put he loves fish so he put in a fish pond we have a fish pond on our property that we have to take care of and i was like what i never thought i would live with fish but i do you sure do yeah so there were these three monstrous fish and we named them uh washington hamilton and lafayette right no we named them hamilton lafayette and Hercules Mulligan. Hercules Mulligan. There That's you go. why they never come when I call. I get the name wrong. Mm. Okay. And then there was one who was, he was an accidental fish. He like slipped into the pool while it was being made. He was the color of mud and we called him Mudblood. And Ooh. I know that's a swear it's a in racist. Harry Potter. It's racist. Yeah. Shoot. And, well, and also Harry Potter's been canceled. Oh, or shoot. at least J.K. Rowling's. I don't know. I can't follow it. But anyway, we really, really, really shouldn't have said Mudblood, but we did. So we sorry. called him Mudblood. We called him Mudblood. He looked like mud and you could not see him. OK, so then one day I go out and there are all these little fingerlings, these little tiny koi fish. So apparently um, two of the bigger fish had spawned and made little fish. Hmm. But what they mostly do, because they're not really intellectual giants of darwinian evolution they eat their babies right oh, we give them when that food happens. and then they eat their babies really like and yet as you live with something and and look check to see if it survived the winter when the pond was frozen solid i found out all kinds of things do you know for example fish don't like rain they don't like rain. They go like they go under rocks when it's raining. Like freaking rain. They they live in water. They don't like rain. And then the other thing that really knocked me out is they lie down to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I identify so much more. As soon as I saw them sort of slowly drift to the bottom and just lie there on the bottom asleep, I was like. These are my people. <laughs> and so I began to love them. And like three of their fingerlings made it through being eaten um, to make it through to the next spring. And then they ate two of those. And, but one survived. And he was like two inches long when I first saw him. And he's beautiful. He's got an orange stripe on his head and then these cream colored flanks. So I called him Creamsicle after it's not part of the historical naming trend clearly but it matched his appearance yeah okay so they're swimming around in there and creamsicle gets to be four five six inches long it's looking like he's almost out of danger from his kin right yeah as long as we forget about the great blue herons the great blue herons so the guys that come to help us to make sure we are taking care of our fish have said over and over again there is nothing more visible from the skies to a great blue heron than an orange and white fish just to like reinforce what you said about not darwin's greatest moment right I mean, not that it was darwin's fault but it's like i'm gonna dress this fish as a as a a traffic cone <laughs> i'm gonna make it a luminescent orange so that it can just be eaten by everything that even exists in nature anyway so you were saying that uh oh i don't even know i came to love these fish and i i was rooting for creamsicle we all were sure and so because he was tiny and then he was pursued by his parents with like cannibalistic uh, attachment and then you know he survived so i was trying to not be attached to him I try uh -huh. to be, not to be attached. Hmm. But then 
one day we were standing in the kitchen, which has a window looking over the pond. And we looked out and we saw a great blue heron standing in the pond. Holy crap, you guys. Oh my God. It was like, do, 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 a shark. It's like, it's so funny. Great blue herons, I've seen them. They're like the most beautiful birds. They're huge. They have these massive wings. They're gloriously colored. And I would have given like a pint of blood to see one in any other setting. Mm. But once you come to love your fish and a heron is standing there, it's like, it literally is like there's a murderer in the house with the kids. So yeah. Ro is like, there's a heron. And so I ran outside and I just, I just started blurting, you have got to leave. <laughs> <laughs> leave you, my fish children alone. You leave. You will leave me now. Um, and, uh, and, and then I came back in the house and I thought, I said, I think I, I, I scared him away before he got any of him. And Ro was white as a sheet. And she looked at me <laughs> and she said, Marty. That heron was swallowing. And we were just like, oh, this is sepulcher of doom came down around us. And so we went out and we looked, and there were the three huge fish, too big to go down a heron's throat. Mm. And then there were no mud blood and there were no creamsicle. It were a sad day. Sad, sad, sad day. And we went out and looked for days. I'd go out and stare at the others and throw him food and no mud blood, no creamsicle. So we, and I was like, it's okay. Impermanence, detachment, meditate till it's all right. And I thought I had achieved this detachment from the lives of fish. And then one day I was just sitting in meditation when we got um, a text from Karen on our mutual thread. And it said simply, creamsicle lives it's <laughs> usually not that poetic by nature it's not her way to sort of to to wax literary but on that day jefferson lives style yeah, yeah. creamsicle lives and i felt such joy in my heart and it did leap up into the heavens and i realized i am so far from being zen like and unattached it's pathetic the buddha is just looking down at you <laughs> And just shaking with rage, <laughs> which Literally is really terrifying. Shaking with rage. Because actually, the Buddha is a mushroom. When a mushroom is shaking at you from the heavens, you just don't really know what's going on. It's very, very frightening. If I were a deity and I were going to appear as a mushroom, I'd definitely be one of those red ones with the white spots. Those are the ones that make reindeer crazy. Mm. Did you know that the reason we have the red and, and white Christmas decorations and the reindeer that are on Santa's flying sleigh, <gasps> it's because back in old Viking Why? times, they'd go out and look for these mushrooms and get high as kites. But then the snow would come and they couldn't find them anymore. But the reindeer can smell them. So they would dig them out and they would eat these mushrooms and get totally soused. And they would like stagger around with their eyes twirling. And the people, I am not kidding you, would go gather the urine of these reindeer because it was full of hallucinogens, psychedelics. And then they would drink reindeer piss and then think that their sleighs were flying through the night with flashing reindeer noses and whatnot. How do you gather reindeer urine? I would imagine. Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that it would involve either some a kind mixing of bowl, a mixing bowl, you know, and some clever footwork. Remember, though, that, 
the reindeer is high so it's not gonna be it'll be like what why did why are you paisley dude so you can get in there with the mixing bowl but the other thing if you're really serious is some really good wrestling training Mm-hmm. Because I think you just go directly to the source. You just wrestle that thing down by the haunches to the ground and just plug in. I wait for it to pee. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much fun. And I actually think it would almost be <laughs> easier to just let them fly around the world and deliver toys to every child <laughs> on earth than to try and actually, get Actually, they would just pee. fly around to the Viking huts and pee in a cup. That's why you leave the cup out. It's not milk and cookies, people. It's reindeer piss. And that's where random drug testing came from, children. <laughs> Have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> I don't know what we were talking about, but I just think this is a really beautiful note to end on. I think so, too. So today, Roe, yes, is another special day when we do listen to the peoples. It's a be wild files episode. Be wild files. do. And it's a very, very exciting one for us because for the first time we have been able to harness the power of sound. Sound. In the past, there's been things written down by you, and sometimes we've talked about them, but we've never heard your voice. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's more than one of you out there. Um, And so because people followed me on Instagram at Rowan underscore Mangan um, and they followed the beautiful instructions that I wrote out. Talk about trying to figure it out. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) This This is amazing. Basically anyone who managed to get through those instructions and get that voice file to us has already figured everything out that they could possibly need to. So, yes, follow me on Instagram. And today we are going to do the Be Wild Files. Woohoo! Now, you may or may not know that the Be Wild Files are responses to our question, what are you trying to figure out? And we got several responses and we can't, we don't have time for all of them. Some of them are so awesome. I want to do whole episodes on them in the future. And, they, were, you know, we couldn't do it as quickly as we do on the wild files but um we're so excited because we're trying this new thing now and it's our first question our first wild file is from danielle and over to you danielle i am trying to figure out why i have such a competitive nature even when i approach a door and it says push There's something in me, like a devilish monster, that just wants me to yank that door and see if I could get through the door by pulling it, even though it says as clear as day to push. Okay, thank you. Bye. Who has not dealt with this one? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) We feel you, Danielle. Although I wouldn't say it's a competitive nature. I think it would be classified by humorless school principles around the world as oppositional defiant disorder. I just think she's a contrarian. Oh, I like that. I think it's I think it's the same thing. Contrarians, it's very interesting because if you don't have contrarians in any population, everybody goes crazy. Mm. Like every primitive culture has people in it who are designated as the clowns or whatever and they they do everything backwards. They ride their horses backwards. They wear they go without warm clothes in the winter and they dress up warmly. and during the holidays everyone's like she's a real character 
<laughs> it's really t- true. It's kind of a divine balance that they're trying to keep. I don't know. But Danielle, do you ride your horse backwards? We yeah. need to know this before we can go on. That's true because we won't know which way you're facing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but I so I think you know people. There's always a contrarian in every group, and I think. Like in Shakespeare, the fool is the contrarian who says the opposite of what the king is thinking. He's the countercultural element. There you go. That's the thing is this whole leaving culture back to nature, that is that is what she's doing. She's not being competitive. She's a holy fool. She's countercultural. It's amazing. And and I think just as every population has contrarians in it, don't we all have an inner contrarian? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking about Danielle as this as this contrarian in society, demonstrating like stopping us all from going mad mm. by just whenever there <laughs> whenever there's a door <laughs> that says push, she's just there going. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, she's expressing it for all of us. <laughs> There is that far side cartoon of a kid going to school for the gifted and he's leaning on the door and it clearly says pull. Yes. But see, Danielle knows. She's read the sign. It's not ignorance. No. It's not stupidity. It's defiance. And I, like, I feel this way. I notice when I am going to do something defiant. There's a certain level of exhaustion and frustration I can get to if I'm dealing with the culture too much. Uh Uh-huh. And I need to do something defiant oh yeah and so I will do things like I'll just take my clothes off and throw them on the floor and not not put them in the laundry or hang them up you just take your clothes off like at the train station or yeah I throw them off on I I do this in someone else's house a stranger (laughs) (laughs) that's real defiance for you yeah but I'm like no I will throw my clothes on the floor watch me throw them on the floor since I usually hang them up it gives me great joy Mm. And it, like any kind of aberration from my normal pattern, I'm like, I'm just going to do this. Because in a way, we kind of make our own culture, don't we, by just the rules that we impose on our day. Yeah. You know, that's our own little culture. And so we can be the holy fool and the mm. contrarian in our own lives just by breaking those rules sometimes, right? That sounds like a life coach prescription. Yeah. What do you do, what do, you do that's defiant? <laughs> you know what I do? And I actually think that everyone should really take this on as a as a strategy in their lives because it's really good so you know when (laughs) you know when someone lets you into traffic and they give you that little signal that says I'm going to let you in I'm not going to bash into you and um so then instead of like just giving them the you know like the very you know manly and and, the hat wave the hand flat hand Yep, yep yep That's good. We understand each other. What I like to do is, I might have even said this on this podcast before, but anyway, I look into their eyes just for a second and mouth words that could not be mistaken for anything other than I love you. Because I do in that moment, like that's, it's a true statement, but it it really unsettles people. And I think in that moment, I'm stopping the society from breaking down. Yeah. And, and she's caused more than one traffic accident, <laughs> I can tell you. More than one marriage. <laughs> Wait, you have more than the one marriage? <laughs> you should know that. Go listen to episode. No, you're, you're, you're marrying people just because they let you into traffic? Oh, my God. I would do so much more That's than marry That's a really them. low bar for me, I'll tell you. No, I, I rarely experience gratitude at the level of when someone lets me into traffic. It's true. Oh, I'm starting to get emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> 
So that's an interesting thing that you can actually try being aberrantly good instead of aberrantly bad, like, and, and just disconcerting that crap out of people. I think I think I'd be disconcerted if I walked past Danielle going, oh, oh, trying to pull that door open. I think that we should all just embrace it. I Don't worry, so. Danielle. You're not you're not being competitive. You're just being a contrarian and serving a really important role in the community. And probably keeping yourself mentally well. 100%. Good job, Danielle. Yeah. Well Onward. Okay. Our next Be Wild file comes from Mary. And here she is. Hi, friends. Um, a few weeks back, you were talking about how in our culture, we've set it up so that if you do something that feels good, then it must be bad and vice versa. And I was wondering if you had a theory as to why that is, because I have a friend who's, you know, struggling with all kinds of feelings of unworthiness that stemmed from, you know, thinking that you were born evil um, and full of sin. And I just, you know, it doesn't seem any way useful (laughs) or productive. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on the matter. Okay, original sin, Marty. Oh, no pressure, but one. solve that. No, I, I think it's like this. Um, you know, the culture wants to control us. Mm-hmm. And when people live according to their nature, when you come to your senses instead of coming to consensus, you feel good almost all the time. And my whole coaching thing is do what feels good. And people are like, what? What? This is blowing my mind. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. Slow down. Here's here's the deal. You are paying me a huge chunk of change to tell you if it feels bad maybe stop doing it if it st- feels really good maybe do that and they've never heard this it's the most counterintuitive and i think it's because to get us away from our true nature and control us means if you're happy you're doing something wrong like it's the way of interrupting our true nature because we're meant to feel happy all the times right but i think what mary's asking is why we have this brain blip that makes us feel guilty when we do something that feels good even if it's not cultural you know like outside of cultural kind of prescription what is that about where um oh this is like even that term guilty pleasure what are your guilty pleasures Mm, what why are they guilty i actually think that you can't disaggregate what is your own shame and fear that you're going to be attacked and what is an actual pressure from the culture so you just put a blanket of everything good that feels good must be bad and i should be very careful about it Uh uh-huh because once you've been hurt badly a few times as a little kid Um, for doing something that is absolutely just part of your nature, you generalize to, oh my God, when I follow my my own inclinations, I get in trouble. I better not ever, ever do it. And then you grow up and create a doctrine of original sin. Because it's that fear of being shamed, which we talked about in the last podcast, which which we saw was a horrifying prospect to be shamed by the culture. Oh yeah. And outcast. So just to, I think just as little kids, we're just like, Oh, I'm not supposed to pee on the floor. Okay. You're mad at me for that. When the reindeer <laughs> do it, you love it. <laughs> but, um, it's, and that's a perfectly natural thing to do, but you can, you can carry a pretty big scar from mm. the way adults interact with you because you're, you're so innocent. And then your innocence becomes a source of shame for you. And you, paint your entire innocence with the brush of shame and sin 
Yeah, it's something like that, isn't it? But it's also like what makes Danielle want to pull on the door that says push? There is something in us that backward sizes things sometimes, you know? Like I wonder if there's part of that as well that's like in the same way that it says if it feels good it must be bad. Why do like why do we say it feels bad it must be good? Why are we creating virtue out of pain? By the same token, are we just like trying to pull on the door that says push? Yeah, I think there's a part of us that's that kicks back before it can be extinguished. Like right at the end when when they've finally got you in the cultural trap of of being this soulless machine, mm. the soul, ironically enough, kicks back. Right. And I remember when I was Mormon, and there's a line in the Mormon scripture that says the natural man is an enemy to God. And it's just, and women are even worse. Wow. And so I grew up believing that because I was told to read this freaking book every day of my life, literally. And it made no damn sense to me, but I did it. And, and so you were literally told anything that is natural to you is original sin, is an enemy to God, is offending the people or whatever it is. And your soul finally says no. And then I, then you erupt, you leave your religion of origin and write a book about it. it makes everybody really mad at you. And that happens to everybody, not just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that though, because like I think, and you know, don't, don't at me, but um, I think that churches are a really clear example of how culture works because churches and I mean in the broadest sense um are in a way like culture institutionalized like culture put behind glass and and sort of turned into a dot com or whatever Mm -hmm. and so um you can see exaggerated in the example of the church what people are given anyway and original sin is like the same it's the same thing but it's kind of again, institutionalized or codified version of what socialization is yeah. in a family, right? Can I tell them about this game that I've been playing called Are You Mad? <laughs> yes, <laughs> please do. Because I, I realized recently that I have all these triggers about like what happened in my family growing up is what's still happening. And for example, uh, my mother primarily made cleaning motions and growing up in a tiny house with 10 people I mean she'd had nine children eight of whom survived and she was tired right so she when she cleaned up she was getting a surge of energy and it was coming from rage (laughs) (laughs) and um so now if anyone starts to do housework I'm like I'm sorry I'm sorry (laughs) and I run around trying to do things to please them look here's a bunch of flowers you'll want to wear high heels I'll clean it I'll clean it and it's it's very confusing it's my personal religion (laughs) I believe that everyone is an angry god but I have to say yesterday Ro asked me a question as I accidentally submerged my wonderful soft plush bathrobe which is the only thing I wear most of the time in the kitchen sink while I was doing the dishes and she asked for something and I was like oh yeah it's over there and she was like are you mad (laughs) (laughs) she seemed mad you guys she seemed super mad I think we're all afraid that people are super mad at us certainly everyone we know (laughs) all the people we like are afraid that people are mad (laughs) that's right and the rest of them are just shaking with rage right now (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid of that. Yeah, I am too. 
please, please be nice to us. <laughs> okay, so I think that answers that question. <laughs> I think if we haven't made that abundantly clear, oh, then I don't goodness. know what we've we been doing We just did here. what, you know, eons of philosophy has failed to do, detach people from the, their fear of original sin. Well, like, and, and no ads, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So who do we got next, Row on the wild files? Our next file comes from Tracy, and here's what Tracy had to say. I want to travel. I want to continue to drive my car sometimes. I want to have a life full of joy, but I'm struggling with the whole climate change and my carbon footprint, and how can I go have fun and do things in the world because I'm affecting other people with all of my actions and I have a lot of children to worry about for the future. And I don't want to just say, screw it. I'm just going to do what I want because it all matters. And I know what I do affects everyone else in the world. So how do I keep doing the things I want to do joyfully? I hear you mm. so hard. This is such a big one for me, Tracy. Yeah. And it's it's no joke either. It's not pretend not that any of them are pretend sorry <laughs> sorry danielle the keep, keep pulling <laughs> natural sin is a fun pretend dilemma <laughs> but oh geez i mean yeah what do you got marty how it's do we downer. how do we find joy when the world is burning okay well the bad news first um what we hear from scientists is that if we all did everything we're supposed to if we all recycle if we don't drive our cars except when absolutely necessary if we do all these things we are still going to encounter like an unsustainable human life experience on planet Earth in in the next few decades, right? Tune in next week for more uplifting, inspirational words from Martha Beck. And so funny. <laughs> um, but here's here's the other thing. Many times in the history of humanity, people have gotten to a place where they thought, this is the limit of what we can do. Yeah. And what happened then was a flowering of creativity that brought the level of sustenance and, and like quality of life up massively instead of it just leveling off. Like I always tell the, the factoid that in 1898, the president or the, the leader of the patent office in the U.S., said to the president that they should close the patent office because by 1898, everything that could be invented had been invented. And then there would be, you know, then there was a period. And since then, nothing has been invented. Have you saddled up the horses for later, Ro? <laughs> yeah, we're good to go. Just let me find that reindeer urine first. So here's the deal. There are these, there are these limitation zones. And I, I used to do this when I ta taught business. I, I would have 92 students in a room. And I would, ha I would walk from one side of the room to the other. And I'd say, your assignment is to walk from this chair to this chair. But you can't do it the way anybody else has done it. And I would walk between them. And I'd say, I just took the first way. And so then they would be like, there would be different ways of walking and people would walk in spirals or they would skip or they would do, and then they would get stuck and there would be no other ways. And then somebody would have a genius idea, like get a rolling chair and push someone else across. And then mm -hmm. it was all about technology. We'll use all the chairs. We'll do all these things. And I kept making them go around and around hundreds of times. And there were these extinction zones where they didn't have ideas. And then these massive ideas that broke through the problem. And I think, I believe that we are at a point where people are going to start 
jumping the tracks of our creative limitations. And we're going to get a flowering of new ideas that I hope to God can fix this complete mess we're in. I'm reading this really, really cool book at the moment called The Extended Mind. And it's, we'll put the details in the show notes, but uh, one of the things that was so interested interested interesting in the book is that um for some decades i don't know how many uh if you look at um iq tests that were being done they use scandinavians because um scandinavians never go anywhere (laughs) scandinavians are just the best let's face it oh my god our scandinavian listeners are shaking with rage (laughs) so yeah you will be in a minute uh so their IQ tests showed that IQs were gradually going up every year and have done for a while. Now, two or three years ago, they stopped. They kind of leveled off. We hit a plateau and people are like, well, you know, like there is, there is a limit. Like there is a limit to um, how brilliant (laughs) we can be. I mean, I don't want to be the first to say it. But, hey, I'm not. It's in a book. So um, what this book is all about is how do we extend past the limits of the mind to um, to to where the next leap will be? And so what it says to me is that as far as your example of people grabbing the chair and going across the room, what's next that we can bring into this moment of we're stuck we're stuck with our brains Mm -hmm. but we have got technologies that are flowering we've got you know each other we've all you know there's just so many possibilities for how we can solve this problem Mm. that's an interesting point but i would say we are stuck not in our brains and and i hear what you're saying that if you link together like all all the people did you know that plants have intelligence but instead of a brain they have root tips all their root tips put together constitute a kind of brain that can learn. Well, I do know that because I live with you. <laughs> and um, like for us, we've got one brain, we remember things and we have to reproduce them. But for a plant, um, it, can, it has many, many sources of information coming from each of its root tips. And each of the tips is, is one like little facet of a brain. So the internet functions like the brain of a plant. And if what I hear you saying is if we can go and beyond the extensions of our, beyond the uh, limits of our individual minds and create an extended network of ideas and information, we can be more intelligent. The the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Is that where she's in the book? Yes, very much so. But but Mm. don't get held, um, caught up on the internet as the mechanism. We're all, as my friend Jill Bolte-Taylor says, we're all neural neurons in a neural network. Right. But here's, I would, I would add one thing. Go on. I think we have to go beyond the limits of our cultural minds. Ooh. Because that's mainly on the, in the left hemisphere of the brain. That's where language mostly lives. That's where the, a sense of control lives. And Jill has much. We talk about this all the time. Now, on the right side of the brain, which is less used in our culture, mm-hmm. we have nonverbal... Uh, intensely curious instead of afraid, uh, where the left side of the brain wants to control everything, the right side of the brain feels unified with everything. So instead, on the left side, we have fear and control, and on the right side, we have curiosity and creativity. Yeah, yeah. So if you can unfetter, 
your consciousness from the left side of your brain where consciousness has been pushing it and go into the right side, you can have some really wild ideas that have massive implications for, for how we live in the world. And Tracy, to Marty's point, I also want to say that there's good science as well that says you it's very hard, if not impossible, to access your creativity from a state of fear, right? Mm. So when we worry about our carbon footprint and our kids and all these sorts of things, we're actually making it impossible to be part of this neural network that's going to solve the problem, right? So it seems to me that joy is a space from which our creativity comes. And so you could totally invert your question and say, you know, we owe it to the world to stay in our joy as much as possible, even with that knowledge and just encourage our own creativity, encourage our own, you know, right brain stuff that we can do and that that's where it's going to come from. Yeah. Is that right, Marty? Is that fair I to would, say? I agree with that. And so it's not just about subtracting the things that are bad, like driving your car. It's about challenging yourself to do something wildly good, not just good as in I recycle. And I do, you know, like do those things if you can. Yes. Um, and if it's not sapping all your joy. But in addition, say, I challenge myself to solve these problems in a way that is beyond anything that uh, we've seen so far. And I mean, watch a bunch of TED Talks. There are people doing this all over the place. Look, I made chairs out of mushrooms. Now, mushrooms. Mushrooms. Again. But seriously, there's this great TED Talk on how mushrooms can be used to make every form of furniture in your house. But 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 don't sit down and oh, watch the TED Talks and do my homework. Like, be in your joy. Like, I, be in your joy. I enjoy watching TED Talks. Okay, but you just <laughs> but you just handed out homework. And I'm oh, saying true. you don't know what, what Tracy's joy is. That's and true. she's saying she just wants to, you know, she wants to be in her joy. And I'm trying to give her permission yeah. to be in her joy. And that's the thing. If you do see these ingenious people that come up with great ideas, they were doing it from a space of joy, joyful creativity. Yeah. They weren't doing it with guns to their head. There's a lot of science that shows that when you put pressure on someone to be creative, even if you pay them, if the, if the pressure is positive, like look what wonderful things will happen, the ability to join different neurons from different parts of the brain and create those flashes of wild insight goes way, way down. So you have to be playful mm. to do, it's called a far transfer for two parts of the brain to bring two very unlike things together and pop out a brand new idea. You kind of have to be in a state of play for that to happen and if everything that we're saying is bullshit and here we are in 40 years watching the world literally burn before us it's not like we're gonna say well at least we were really guilty and worried about it right. <laughs> the whole time you know we'll probably say well we had some joy at least we were miserable. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. Like, it, 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 if you want to create something in the world, live in the space of that thing. Mm. So live in a space of your greatest happiness and your greatest contribution to the world and, and see what comes out of it. Because the only chance we have, I believe, is either another mass extinction, which we're pretty much already in the middle of, or human creativity. So what my mum always says is live as if the revolution happened. Ooh. You know, like whenever the 
the ideals that you had seem to have fallen on their knees and the world is run by maniacs and we're not doing enough to solve the climate crisis. Live as if the revolution had happened. Live as if we saved the world. I mean, why not, right? I love that. Pull the push doors. Pull the push doors, for (laughs) God's sake. (laughs) So that's what we have time for this episode, Rowan, and all the others. Thank you so, so much for sending in your question. We love it. Don't forget to rate and review us, especially on Apple things. And stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. For more of us, Martha's on Instagram, the Martha Beck. She's on Facebook, the Martha Beck. And she's on Twitter, Martha Beck. Her website is marthabeck.com. And me, I too am on Instagram, Rowan underscore Mangan. I'm on Facebook as Rowan Mangan. And I'm on Twitter as Rowan Mangan. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.